and I've noticed that skating has started to imitate fingerboarding in recent years. Welcome to the Finger Space Podcast. I'm your host, Yosvani, aka Nostalgia FB, and we have the absolute pleasure of chatting with Matt from Joycold in this special two part podcast episode. We will be talking to Matt about early fingerboarding history and the beginning of the Joycold brand and how it shaped the fingerboarding community. Then, in part two, we will be discussing the struggles and impact that COVID 19 has had on fingerboarding and especially with Joycold's situation of severe lockdowns and restrictions. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button on your streaming platform of choice. This show is sponsored by Fingerspace Co., which provides fingerboarding gear for all riders of all skill levels. Thanks for coming on the show, man. Hey, man, what up? I know we had a little pre-conversation uh, earlier, but, you know, let let the podcast people know how you're doing. You know, pretty good. Uh, like I said, we were talking about earlier. I'm sure that everybody's feeling the bit of the lag and bummed outness from what's going on in the world but uh you know all kicking it and alive and hecking it and uh thankful for that and uh yeah i'm here of course of course man we're, we're here and that's all that counts hell yeah so matt the first question i really want to ask you given that this is a fingerboarding podcast how did you get into fingerboarding wow well i've been fingerboarding a really long time since I was a kid, I don't know if many people know how old I actually am, so let's just, just let's keep that a, keep people guessing. But I was I was fingerboarding in high school when it was just tech decks around, and uh, I was oblivious for a long time about the actual fingerboarding scene, which was crazy because I was abnormally infatuated with it in in a sense of I skate like hardcore. And I'm not really into like TV and and things like that. I never have been. So for me, like I don't know, just like hands-on things, like musical instruments and stuff, was always really cool. And when I was growing up, just I would always, when it was a rainy day or we couldn't skate, you know, I was always just messing around with like a tech deck or whatever on the edge of a binder or something or a stapler and you know imagining or stuff and building little replica spots of spots that we skated. It just like a big part of my skate life, I think, more than anything. That's awesome. Now, were you skating before Tech Decks came out? Brand Tech Deck was, like, just starting around that time, probably, like, 1999, 1998. And before that, people were using other boards. Actually, it's crazy when I think now. Like, I so I still have my main, quote-unquote, Tech Deck that I used from when I was, like, a kid here. It was like actually a company, I don't know if you've or anyone else has heard of them, but it was called Weird Boards. And it was like a competitor brand to Tech Deck. It was like, they're the same thing. It was just plastic board with plastic trucks and wheels. But they had kind of different shapes and obviously no uh, professional endorsements via like brands. That was what was cool about Tech Decks at the time. Because even back then, Tech Decks were hype like let's be realistic at least for me because a lot of those pro models that we would use we had and we thought it was super cool right that we had that under our feet and we were also using it as a, like a little toy or whatever that's dope if you were kind of in your words kind of oblivious to the fingerboarding scene what was that tech decking culture like or was there even a culture behind these little miniature skateboards <laughs> yeah there wasn't much of a culture like i had a couple of friends who were 
have in my like at the time because I had never seen anything or really been online, but like we're really really good, and uh, you know I would hang out with them all the time, and I actually remember cons like considering myself a closet fingerboarder because it got to a point where you know again like I was didn't know any that the whole scene even existed, and I would basically like. I don't know, I was getting a lot older and, you know, the more and more that I was like doing it, people would sort of give like a weird look. Like I wasn't doing it in public or anything when I was at my house or sometimes I have one in my pocket when I was like more of an adult and stuff like that randomly. I'd carry one at work all the time when I worked at West. Um, I was just, I had this like one little room that had these like, is like a storage room and had all these random metal sort of like ledges everywhere. And I would just go there for it hours and hours and hours during work and just like i remember specifically i was trying to nolly frontside flip to switch cricket grind across this little like ledge gap and i tried it for like a month and i got one and i was like just hyped yeah but there was no scene at all i was definitely like if anything embarrassed because look at it this way if you're just like a grown human being and you see another grown human being playing with that and you don't skate and you don't anything you can't really like distinguish the difference between if they're playing with like GI Joes or Hot Wheel cars or anything. You just think they're basically like a developmentally disabled <laughs> adult. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like they're like, what's up with this guy? Why is this grown man playing with a toy right now? Doesn't he have like you know a car and like a girlfriend or anything? That's that's definitely one way to put it. But I all all fingerboarders out there listening, especially grown people, us grown folk definitely know what you're kind of talking about. And even now, I still feel like there's kind of a stigma of uh, or there definitely is of hiding your fingerboard and your toy, mm -hmm. you know, because you, you don't want to be judged because grown people aren't supposed to play with toys, supposedly. Supposedly, different type of toys, I guess, for different types of ages, but a weird uh, period there. And then, uh, yeah, I don't know. I just remember weirdness for a long time. Weirdness and not wanting to tell people that I fingerboarded. <laughs> so once you went through your, your weird phase, when was it that you discovered the actual fingerboarding scene? Yeah, um, I always had like it on my uh, kitchen counter. At one point, it's kind of cool, actually, the kitchen counter that I'm sitting at right now. And uh, my one friend came in and was like, hey, man, like, uh, he's like, uh, I didn't know that you mess around with tech decks or whatever. And I was like, yeah, dude, I'm like, this shit's awesome. And uh, he's like, have you ever heard of Mike Schneider? And I was like, no, who's that? And he showed me, yeah, he showed me on his, on his phone this video of uh mike it was his fingerboard daily uh little part from back in the day i was tripped out on it i was like are you fucking kidding me like because i've never seen like like scale ramps you know or anything like that or even that like like wheels with bearings in them <laughs> like at that point um it was just crazy i was always just using a plastic tech deck that i had actually shaped a little bit myself and tweaked a little bit but that's like you know there i didn't know about even foam grip or anything like that i just right yeah i just right away thought like holy shit and then i couldn't i literally couldn't believe that existed like because that's like something that i had always in my head thought of would be sick but just never you know as a closet fingerboarder like it's like attack that goal or try to do anything about it and then um 
from there, uh, actually, that same friend, he suggested that we should film a video. He's like, maybe film a video, like, because he knew that I was, like, pretty good or whatever. And then uh, we did, and then I put it on uh, Instagram way back in the day when Instagram only had 15-second video clips, actually. That was, like, new, too, at the time. That was, like, brand new. I remember that. Oh, man. That was, like, when they they just started having video, even. That was, like, the first Instagram video. It used to be only pictures. And then, um, yeah, I, I uploaded a little uh, vid there. You know, I, I met some other fingerboarders through Instagram, and then got encouraged to make more vids and then learned about like, you know, I, that, holy shit, I can get a wooden fingerboard somewhere. That's crazy. Yeah, the rest kind of went from there, really just kept going on and on. That's an awesome way to, to kind of get introduced. It wasn't even like you stumbled upon it yourself online. It was somebody kind of showed you. That's really, really cool. It's a miracle. I'm so, I'm so glad that he showed, showed me that looking back. I might have probably found out, like, uh, at some point, like, later, I'm sure, because uh, I don't know how much longer my, my one board tech deck would have lasted. <laughs> Man. But uh, <laughs> it was getting pretty rickety towards the end, like, because I didn't want to change it. I was so used to that. I would just add new parts if I had to. So, so how long after that did you get your hands on a quote-unquote real fingerboard? It was really, really fast once I discovered that. Like, I just felt like I was eons behind like the times like i was like i was like where have i been are you kidding me like i felt like i like found like my people you know what i mean <laughs> like I, I was like some yeah like uh some like I don't know animal that gets released into the wild in Africa and like meets up with all these like other <laughs> sees them for the first time. I don't know it's crazy feeling. So that was my first, yeah, like one of the first things I did, and it was really really funny because um, at the time I was like super like he like insanely like broke, and I remember like spending like pretty much my last bit of money on uh, on a Berlin wood complete and and like explaining that to like my girlfriend at the time like wow we're like so broke <laughs> it's like it was so bad and i just was like you, like i don't know like looking back like that's probably the like yeah seeing that from that those eyes because again she didn't understand right like she just like bro i know she thinks i'm playing with toys like <laughs> but uh yeah no that was the first one right there yeah like right away pretty much your first one was a berlin one complete wow yeah i still have it that shows your 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 love at least for for the hobby the sport however you want to refer to it as that you kind of went even into the deep end when you didn't really have the finances for it but you still did it yeah no i couldn't i couldn't not like it was just i don't know it was just uh i was definitely i had to like get one of them for sure looking back on it was it worth it oh for a hundred percent for sure no matter yeah no, it was worth it i would have said that like like the day after i got it anyways <laughs> yeah it was worth it for sure i remember it was because i was i remember it was like really weird at first to get used to and then foam grip too and i was like whoa but uh i remember just thinking like i guess this is better though like so i just kept using it and then it just sort of became obviously more natural because you got to keep in mind i was using that little plastic for i knew that thing like the back of my hand and that's like a weird shape now i i try to mess with it these days i actually set up some 
joy cult wheels on it so they at least roll better and i still couldn't like figure it out like i was like damn i can't believe i used to like actually get busy with this thing like uh, th that thing's seen a lot of action that board like <laughs> like days and months and months of like just not at landing tricks <laughs> just trying really hard shit. man that that's awesome dude especially that you have that board still and then the first quote-unquote real fingerboard that you ever got what was the transition what was the catalyst that went from you being a fingerboarder a writer into wanting to start up your own fingerboard brand you know joy cult Good question. Like, as I was getting into fingerboarding, and for me, like, I had never like like seen the the scene or community or whatever at the time. Uh, it kind of was actually it was a lot different back then too. But from what ads and what stuff you could see on the internet about the fingerboard scene, to me, they're just well, it was there's a couple of things. It's like well, number one, there was just I'm a skateboarder. And I'm influenced a lot in pretty much every part of my life in every way by skateboarding, whether it's the music I listen to, I heard in a skate video or saw it through skateboarding or a skateboarder recommended it or it just everything is just in my life so hard. And I noticed that like with fingerboarding, it was, it's, it was like a miniature version of skateboarding, obviously physically, but it wasn't like that anywhere as far as visuals and as far as any brands were really presented i found or at least felt after a while of just sort of you know get involved and then i just you know wanted that to be there so bad at one point that i just you know just felt like that was a natural step to uh sort of like uh to create that in fingerboarding uh, because I felt like there might be a lot of people like me who are heavily influenced by skateboarding and maybe, you know, do see fingerboarding kind of like, I don't know, just, I don't want to use a bad word, but like uh, lame or something. Like maybe as a way as I thought that people like my girlfriend or something might see it. So I wanted people that maybe skated to really think like, oh, this is kind of like cool and like trippy or something and like interesting. You know what I mean? As opposed to like sort of, I don't know, this sort of PG-13 type of vibe that I got from most uh, companies, which ain't a bad thing either. Cause like, I, it's like, it's an industry made up of kids mostly, right? There aren't a lot of people who are maybe my age or around my age who still fingerboard because life happens and you get away from skating and you get away from that imaginative thing especially when there's nothing in it like you know what i mean i see i see that's so it was kind of you were trying to to fill in the gap that you kind of saw missing for yourself to kind of bridge the quote-unquote gimmicky fingerboarding culture to actual skating yeah i, I don't want to like like uh discredit like the fingerboard scene or culture and say that like it's all gimmicky or anything like that it's like more like it just it is like it is what you said too like i just seen something that i, I thought wasn't wasn't really there as as far as especially just a, a brand goes you know what i mean of course no I, I see yeah i mean i mean if we i mean looking at it really fingerboarding is a subculture of skateboarding yeah you know um, just as much as uh, miniature cars or RC cars is a subculture of, you know, the automotive field or industry.
Yeah. You know, it's kind of just byproducts that break off and people fingerboard for all sorts of different reasons, you know? Yeah. And it's crazy. A little sub point about that is that actually, because I pay attention to skating obviously a lot and I've noticed that skating has started to imitate fingerboarding in recent years. Like I see skate tricks happen that don't usually happen on a skateboard, but they happen a lot on a fingerboard. I don't know, man. There's something weird going on with that, but uh, I'm not going to get into that rabbit hole right now. No, okay. All right, all right. So you have this this, this idea, this want to kind of bridge these two worlds or fill this gap that you see and bring skate culture down to our, our miniature level. How did you do that? What were the first initial steps in the process to making that happen? Crazy, actually. Um, I literally woke up on january 1st i think it was 2014 and i was like working for under a minimum wage at this skate shop just an under the table job it was rough rough times my girlfriend had just broke up with me and i walked down to the business resource center in our, our town here in Brantford, ontario and i literally just said i have this idea i don't care what you tell me to do to do it just tell me the steps and i'll do it just help me please and they literally thought i was crazy at first talking about this fingerboard stuff and then uh <laughs> i had to go back three times they uh ended up taking me under their wing and uh gave me a, a little bit of a boost in the right direction and as far as planning and actual business and, and actually connecting me with a lot of smart people. And um, yeah, that was pretty much the first step. Oh, that's right awesome, there. especially that you went to, you know, uh, a professional resource to kind of make it happen. You know, a lot of companies usually start up uh, in the basement, in the garage, you know, just tinkering around. But you went, you know, kind of straight up to a professional resource, which is kind of cool. And I've never really, really heard of that. I like definitely need like some sort of like help or anything and that was literally my plea i was just like just literally i can do instructions really well people just tell me if i just say how do i do this and people give me step by step then i can do it and that's uh what they did what they did for me definitely needed all like the help i could get like for sure <laughs> before like before this stuff like i never owned a, a computer a proper digital slr camera nothing like it was just i had like a nokia like brick phone wow <laughs> and i loved it it was awesome everyone was iphoning and i was like qu qwerty qwerty typing it was t9 that shit was tight so i guess needless to say there must have been a lot of uh challenges and tribulations and struggles um starting starting up the the business and the brand and the company oh oh yeah man uh yeah yeah there was for sure that's it's just saying yeah there's so many there's like it was it was it was fun though like it's not a, it's not a complaint at all like it was the yeah b like biggest thing that i tried to do in my life and i put everything that i could into it you know until that it succeeded or until it was a real thing because it was super important to me what what would you say the the biggest or the hardest struggle was and whether it was fiscally financially um emotionally mentally what 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 would it have been oh man um kind of a tough question because like there's all these different little things that you learn and and go through along the way it's hard to sort of almost put your finger on 
a single one that was like maybe the hardest or something like that. Man, probably though, just like um, probably just bridging the gap from my old life uh, to like learning everything. You know what I mean? Like very suddenly too, because at first I actually wanted to make boards. But actually, I thought there's already at the time, which is crazy because this is a long time ago, that there was already so many board companies. And I'm like, and it's so like, like anyone can basically make a board company, essentially. And that's not a bad thing. There's people who do it great. And there's people who do it not so great. And, you know, that usually people know who those people are uh, just based on, you know, you know, whatever. But um. I did. I, I had this, like, I actually wanted to just put a little bit more effort into it. And then just was like, you know what? I, I'm going to go for wheels instead. Like, I don't know anything about anything in this. I can't find anything online about it. But let's just learn that. At the time, it really was only uh, flat face, Winkler, and Oak that were really uh, any notable company out there. That must have been insane because looking at a at a fingerboard, I make decks myself. I'm one of those people in the in the vast thousands of us that kind of make their own fingerboards. Like really quick on that, like it's like that's totally cool. Like I don't know, it is what it is, right? Like it's not in a bad way at all. Like people love it, so people do it. It's a hobby to people, it's a craft to some people, it's a job to some people. And you know, it's everyone's own little like thing. Like no one should hate on anybody for doing that stuff like ever like you should feel like oh i'm the vast whatever like you just do your thing man you know what i mean no i definitely definitely agree with that and it's kind of if you doing it for the right reasons you know doing it because you love it because you just i do it because i like the physical process of making something so small um and that's what i enjoy yeah but um but kind of getting back to to what um what we were talking about you know, looking at a deck, um, I'm, I'm looking at a, at a pressed uh, blank right now. It's it's not that hard fundamentally when you're looking at it, you know? Five plies of veneer, some glue, you press it in a mold, and then you shape it. You know, and there's 10, 15, 16, 20 different ways that you can shape and drill and finish a board, right? But looking at wheels, there's a meticulous machining process that kind of has to go into it. You know, whether they're CNC molded uh 3d printed well excuse me i'm kind of saying all this to be like you didn't really pick the easy way you know you kind of picked one of the elements in the fingerboard that's the hardest to produce and that must have been a challenge it's obviously more of a challenge and that was sort of intentional because i just i just thought about it in the long run you know what i mean like um what would be more worthwhile to do and like right now and put the little extra effort into now and the other thing too is that like i had and have a lot of uh respect uh, uh for that fingerboard community you know what i mean like um i didn't want to just be this like oh there's another company popping up type of deal you know what i mean i wanted it to be meaningful and important and actually you know and create value in the scene and, and something that maybe people like needed or wanted, you know what I mean? It just seemed more appropriate to go that route and, and really uh, work out those kinks to, to make uh, wheels happen. Definitely. I mean, definitely when you look at um, your, I don't want to say marketing because it's not really like you, like the marketing that you use, but the culture that you build, I think you've definitely succeeded in doing that and creating something more meaningful um, for, for the brand and for the fingerboarding community as a whole. 
So, so how did you get started on making wheels? Like, how does one start? Especially how you mentioned earlier, there wasn't really any online resources for you to for you to choose. Yeah, yeah, no, um, for sure. There's two. There's basically two parts that I can kind of touch on. It's like essentially, um, number one was obviously how to make the. It essentially comes down to like yeah, the shape and the ingredients. Is the, the two things to solve, right? So I was really adamant on having a really skate similar feel and and uh, and experience. So that was a big deal in finding that formula and finding people that could actually make that formula. And then the other thing, yeah, was uh, figuring out the method of uh, achieving that shape with the ingredients, right? Both were kind of equally as as challenging. Because uh, the first uh, kind of OGs, uh, that was before we ever had, well, like, we like we didn't know shit. Like, I just uh, viewed it more or less as, like, skateboarding, right? Like, scaled-down skateboarding. So then when we made those at first, it was a bit hard because, yeah, there's some differences between uh, actual differences between skate wheels and uh, fingerboard wheels. But... Uh, you know, uh, those are pretty much the first two big steps in figuring out. And that just involved a lot of calling around and talking to people who are experts in this stuff uh, and applied it in a different uh, in different walks uh, other than skateboarding, you know. I see. I see. I see. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I'm sure it took a, a while to get all of your R&D down and kind of perfect uh, your your formula. That was a lot. Um, well, this is the third. Uh, it's F3. It's been F3 for a while. And um, that's the third rendition of, like, the formula. So, yeah, there's been little tweaks that go along and stuff like that. And uh, things we added, the most current one is, like, a, it's, like, a super high, high rebound. So that formula allows the wheel to not only, one, be super uh, flat spot resistant, if not proof, um, but if you smush that wheel or, you know, bend it in any way, it'll go right back to its uh, original shape really easily. Well, that's that's something that that I've never really even thought about. And I've been fingerboarding um, over 10 years now. And and I'll, and I'll say it, and I've said it before, I'm, I'm a plastic wheel type of guy because I grew up with the flat face wheels, and that's kind of what I've always used. I mean, I have a lot of urethane wheels, but that's, that's kind of interesting that you say that because the thing with plastic and harder materials is, is they crack. They don't, once they, they bend or they, you know, deform, they don't go back to their original shape. Yeah, that's true. Uh, that stuff can crack too, but it also takes a lot of, uh, on for like, a, even for a, like a plastic wheel or whatever, right? Like that takes a lot of usual force to crack it. I mean, I don't know a lot of people who use uh, plastic wheels, um, not because they're like, they use joy belts around here, but even ones that like, I that do use them, I never heard them, I never heard a plastic wheel cracking that often. Really? Yeah, I don't know if the people that I've been around are just animals and stepping on their stuff all the time, but I've, yeah, very, very true, yeah. Some people get hardcore with that. I got a friend who will, like, use my fingerboard every now and then when he comes over, and I hate it because he's so, like, heavy-handed. Like, he's pretty good, 
but like I just like see my finger. I'm just like, dude, can you chill on it? You know what I mean? I feel like he's gonna snap my deck. Yeah, we everybody. If you have a fingerboarding crew around, we all know one person like that. Let them use your your second setup instead of your primary. Oh yeah, got got to have that backup one now. I got that for sure on lockdown in the kitchen. There's just a random complete here. It's like here, use this. So once you once you got your your formula down and you were happy with your first initial product, what what was the what was your marketing quote unquote your marketing strategy to kind of get in and distance yourself from the rest of the crowd to make yourself unique? Yeah, that part was sort of easiest for me. Um, I had a very clear vision of like what I wanted joy cult to feel like how I wanted it to be presented. And I just didn't know how to use any tools to, to, to convey that message. So once I just learned a few basic things, like, you know what I mean? Like I got into like, you know, got a DSLR and like learned about photography. I have a really good friend uh, who's a pro photographer, Sam Fidlin. Um, and he's, uh, he taught me a bunch of stuff and my one friend, Derek, he's a really, really amazing videographer. And I just would pick their brains about everything and particularly, you know, things that I want to know that, and tools that I want to use to, to convey my message and, 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 and the feels of joy call itself out there to everybody. Um, but that part was really the easiest part of anything because that was something that I had in my head, like day, like before day one. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. I do know what you mean. It's kind of that it, it came naturally. You know, it wasn't so much yeah. you had to work to get an idea of it. It's that you had the idea of it and you had to work to get it out. Yeah, like Joy Call could have been selling anything. Frankly, we could have made toaster ovens. I don't know. It would have the same vibe. <laughs> and I have to say. Um, Looking at your Instagram page, you, you keep your profile locked or privated sometimes, which is something that you never really see a company do. Before we get to that part, it's always been, you know, something ambiguous. I mean, looking at the only post you have right now, it's definitely out of the ordinary, if, if you would agree. Yeah, no, I do agree. Yeah, that's how it is. <laughs> that's, how, that's just how it is. That's, that's joy cult. It's what it, that's, it is what it is. Um, you know, and a, another interesting thing that I heard, I just heard it and I don't know if it's necessarily true, but that you've never, Joy Cult hasn't really ever used hashtags to grow the page. It's, it's always been word of mouth and just posting and, and all that. Yeah, that's true. I, I yeah, I, I cleaned up the Instagram there, but if you looked probably since like maybe 2016, 17, like I just didn't use hashtags and, um, you know, like that's all. In, in a weird way, like related to the privacy of the account and stuff like that. It's because like, and I'm so happy, like, am truly like blessed that, that like people give a shit about Joy Cult. Early on, it became like really apparent that like, you know, not only do I not feel comfortable sort of like I see all these companies and I don't, I'm not hating on people for doing this. Like I, I, I just see them making like the lots and lots and lots of mineral products. And like, that's awesome. But, like, I've never been able to sort of mentally do that. Like, at times when Joyco got busy and and it was just, like, I don't know, it just starts to more feel like, uh, 
like a robotic sort of like routine. And it's not like, I don't know, like, I don't want to ever be that. Like I want to have meaningful products and, and, and meaningful stuff and have people sort of care and not just feel like, Oh, it's just this, you know, shit you can get for super whatever at any damn time or whatever, you know, that was to combat the growth and, uh, just to sort of have peace of mind anyways, too, because the reality is like, it's like good music, man. Like, you know, if you, I don't know if you've ever heard like a song or something like that, that's like, you think is tight. And then you go up to your homie and you're like, dude, have you heard this fucking song? Check this out. It'll blow your mind. And you hit play. And then your homie's like, dude, I heard this song. It's fucking awesome. It's like people will know what good stuff is and they'll go to it and you don't even have to like promote it or anything. You don't have to artificially put a hashtag in there or anything, whatever. If people want to see it, they're going to go see it and they're going to follow it and they're going to go wherever it is. You know what I mean? You don't need to have anything else. And if you do, it's not, in my opinion, not really worth it. Sometimes I think like for the hashtag thing, it's like, yeah, I want people to see some of the content I make because to me it's like art and like I put that out so that people can appreciate it and it makes sense that people type in something and be able to search for it as opposed to just typing it in and not ever seeing any of my content. But I don't know. It kind of is what it is. Definitely a, I don't know, if I were to describe it, looking on it, at it from the outside, it's a, it's an organic development. You know, kind of the the way I would put it. I I would say exactly the same, man. And that's how exactly how I'd want it, right? Like, you don't want no like fake like followers or whatever. Who cares about that? You want people who actually give a shit and who are actually following because they're like, yo, like I didn't see this anywhere, and this is awesome. Yeah, and and I have to say, it's like um, the the joy cult fans, uh, the people that enjoy your product, that uh, that back it, that write it definitely are you know it's not just for the the product but it's for the brand itself i don't know it's it's a weird and unique thing to have not a lot of companies have that where people will write it just because it's it's joy cult because it's mass it's it's you know not just because it's a good product it's a weird connection to describe that means a lot man like hearing that because i i more or less try to not get caught up in too much of that stuff because uh, I don't know, more or less, if it's whatever, I don't know, it gives me a little bit of like sort of stress in a way, not stress, like that sounds like a negative word, anxiety, like I appreciate that people feel that way. And if anything, actually, I guess, you know, that's why I'd want people to resonate with Joy Call and vibe with Joy Call is because of the that that branding and that imagery i don't want to say branding it makes it sound more too businessy like joy call is joy call is really like an extension of me and me is just skateboarding and and my journey in skateboarding and things that are important to me and anything that i post whether it's a pic or a video or anything that's just like i don't know it's i think it's cool that people can like it and it doesn't have to do anything with fingerboarding sometimes. You know what I mean? Like the, the last post right now, like it, that's intentional. Like there's nothing to do with fingerboarding in it. You know what I mean? 
and that's the point. The point is there is no point. <laughs> Man, I don't know. I think you might be one of the best creative geniuses that we have on the in the scene. You know, to, to put it like I wouldn't go that far, but I appreciate that, man. I don't like I don't know if you're doing it intentionally or not intentionally, but whatever it is, it's it's working, it's organic and it and it's great. I wanna touch on something that you, you mentioned a little bit ago, and it's kind of the the stress that comes with the feedback and the comments and, and all that type of stuff. I mean, me, I have my Instagram, I have my YouTube channel. Uh, at time of recording, it's almost at a thousand followers, which is great and it's fantastic. But I've noticed when, you know, certain videos or posts get more comments and more views, um, I reading the comments or paying too much attention to it is kind of a rabbit hole. And a lot of the time it just leads to no good. And I can't imagine what that's like for you having... 40 plus thousand followers on your Instagram. Yeah, man. <laughs> it's a, it's a two, it's a two way street, uh, because it's exactly how you just described. Uh, but then also like when you, when you do ignore it, then also people will say that you're just like ignorant or something. Right. Yeah. Like you, like, Oh, you don't care about your fans. Whatever. The best policy I find is, yeah, or not even about that. Like, I, I, I do like, I, I do care, like in a sense, like I, I, I'm always like, uh, reading like constantly. Yeah. But you know, it's like, it's a, it's again, it's like with that growth thing too. Right. I, I've never been able to afford to like, really like make joy cult, uh, legit, like, you know, business business, you know, where it's like, there's, you know, a workplace and employees here every day and stuff like that. And someone handling this and someone handling that. It's, uh, it's real, just sort of hecking it all the time. And, uh, you know, like it's just, it is, it's, in, it's, it's almost, if not, it is impossible. It's impossible to sort of keep up with all the conversations. There were times at the beginning when, you know, I I would be so thorough in in contacting people, and at one point it just did. It got like it wasn't that it was hard to do. I love doing it. I love talking to people, but at one point you're like, I'm talking to so many people that I don't have time to do anything else in the day at all. And these conversations never end because it's on the internet, right? It's not like sort of like when you have a phone call and then you say goodbye. It's like the conversation just sort of always keeps going for days and weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks. No human can do that. Like, I don't care who you are unless it's your actual, like, you know, devoted job. And that's, I don't know who would have that kind of job to have your own personal conversations for you. So it is, it's like, a, it's hard to find that line between, you know, giving yourself to people and also like, but not seeming like you're not there completely. You know what I mean? And for simply from a, from a standpoint of like, that just is what it, that's just the reality. It, I, I would, I love talking to fingerboarders and, and hearing and just hearing the nice things that you're saying about, you know, joy call. Like I've shocking to me, like amazing. Like <laughs> I'm flattered that like you or one person even thinks that, but, uh, uh, like, uh, I just, yeah, I just, it's hard to keep up with all of it. And, and, and I do care and I do love everybody in fingerboarding. You know what I mean? I wish there was a way. Definitely do do know what you mean. And I, I think that's what a lot of uh, 
people can kind of lose touch with the fact that you're still um, a small business and, you know, a one or two man operation. I mean, you're the one running the Instagram, you know, doing all this stuff, answering the questions, answering the emails, all the stuff. And you there's only so much time in a day, you know, and you still have to live life outside of outside of joy call. But, you know, my life is joy call. Like, I don't really live. I just skate and skating is joy call and, you know, all this anytime when there's nothing going on on Joyco, I've, and I've said this before on stories, like usually when it's the most quiet is when there's the most absolute most going down and, and, and the stuff being developed and things like that and new ideas happening. Yeah. It's, it really is like entirely in my life, dude, like hundred percent. That's commitment. But if it is your life and how you said earlier, it's just an extension of who you are. I guess it's not really that problematic. Like you're not a person with a quote unquote work addiction. It's just, you're living your life doing what you do. And this happens to be a, pro a byproduct of that. Yeah. Like, you know, obviously like, yeah, like, you know, and especially now too, like, you know, making stuff in, for fingerboarding feels like a natural thing you know what i mean it's just it feels like that's where that's where i am that's where i belong and that's what i'm doing and yeah there's a comfort level to that that is good <laughs> all right so let's take uh, a quick break i hope you enjoyed this episode of the finger space podcast thanks for skating by and don't forget to nose bonk that subscribe button and dark slide on over to our discord server this episode was produced by Fingerspace Co. and hosted by Nostalgia FB. Big thanks to all guests and listeners.